0: This is now the minute bah, silence bah, bah, on the podcast. Bah, bah, <laughs> no, sh- Fitz, minute silence. <laughs> okay, just put it in and post. It could be ours. <laughs> Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's finally here, boys—the big game, the Pro Bowl.
1: Year, Connor. Same joke every single
0: year. I know, but this time the Pro Bowl sucks. It used to be great, <laughs> but now it sucks.
1: So it's even funnier.
0: <laughs> I'm wondering—is it one of those, like, you know, you have to go through? How, how far down does this, does this hole go? Uh, so we got Connor here, we've got Sean, Hello. and we got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on boys? Are we all recovered from the weekend?
1: Uh, Just about, just about. uh, Two very fun days in the Connemara countryside uh, Mm. that I remember almost all of it uh, and was certainly not hungover for the majority of it. uh, Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was no. I must say, I must credit you. Did the organising, Connor, and it was exactly what I wanted, and it was basically perfect. And it's great to see people and have the chats. Thanks. Nice. And yeah, um, I'd do it again if I could, but oh, uh, I yeah. involved having to get married again. So. Uh,
0: oh, it was good fun. The only, I think the only bit you really missed was the, uh, the 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 visit to the local pub, where we all played darts for a while and gave each other darts nicknames. I'm trying to remember, Fitz. What was your darts nickname?
2: I think I just about to fizzle, like my old. Oh, you
0: did, yeah. You just went to fizzle, yeah. You kind of yeah. Out I was of like, it was
2: like I'm,
0: you know, I start well, you know, <laughs> and I fizzle out. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I was called the regulator. I quite like that one. I'm going to hold on to it. Uh, but no, that was good fun. How about yourself? It's how are you getting on?
2: Yeah, grand. Like uh, mostly recovered at this point as well. Be a little bit still tired, but uh, yeah, just tipping away. You know, we're two weeks away from the Super Bowl, so go hard at it that weekend as well so uh, this weekend this week probably
0: keeping it quiet yeah i know that's it that's it uh yeah similar I, I, I had the monday off which made the the transition back to real life a nice bit easier um but then was busy with a few bits and pieces and the interview today and a few other bits and pieces coming up this week so it'll keep me on my toes but uh i must say it was uh it was uh, a very exciting moment to realise that the Chiefs are going to be back there and we're going to have, as I mentioned, I think on the previous one, the uh, Arrowheads Abroad are going to be coming down to Dublin as well. So we'll actually, they'll be watching the Chiefs, which will be nice for them as well. It should be uh, should be very exciting. Uh, obviously, yeah. we're going to go through the games from last week. We're going to look at the Pro Bowl upcoming, and, uh, but we've got a lot of news to, 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 to get through. There's uh, This is the period where all of these teams start hiring and firing coaches, as we called it before in the coaching carousel. There's a few moves, uh, one or two of which... A kind of small, one or two of which are quite big, so I suppose we should probably pop straight into them. So first up, Carolina have hired uh, former Indianapolis Colts head coach Frank Reich as their head coach. Um, This somewhat makes sense to me. I think Reich was always fairly well considered as a head coach, went through a lot of tough times with the injuries to look and so on. Carolina in dire need of, uh, I suppose, a, a... a kind of a, an organisational shift in mindset, we would say. They've, you know, they changed ownership away from problematic ownership and then still had some question marks inside. Reich has come out and said that he has a vision in his head for what he wants at quarterback, which I suppose is the route forward for this team. Uh, but he also says his experience to this point has prepared him for dealing with adversity in that respect. <laughs> uh, so what do we think? Do we like... Frank Reich as a head coaching hire, and do we like him as a fit for Carolina? Uh, uh,
1: I uh, mostly yes, I would say. Uh, obviously, he has the. He's always been much better as a coordinator. His head coaching time has not always gone spectacularly, but the Panthers are in such a hole that uh, you know anything's an improvement. I, I think he's a solid. I think he's a solid choice, and for a team like the Panthers, who want to rebuild and, and get you know some some solid ground under their feet, I think it, it's it's a good move. But I, I wouldn't be, if I was a Panthers fan, I wouldn't exactly b- be, you know, passionately in love with this because it all feels a bit meh. Um, and I mean, a lot will depend on who they get in as as a quarterback. Obviously, Reich has had some success turning, you know, subsequently discovered to be quite mediocre quarterbacks like Carson Wentz in, into stars for, for a brief moment. So he might be able to, to light that touch paper again. Um, but... Yeah, it's 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 good, but not. I wouldn't I wouldn't be in love with it if I was a Panthers fan.
2: Yeah, and it's just a classic thing with these management uh, choices. Is often their a reaction to what you did last time? Obviously, they went with Matt Rule, gave him a big contract coming from the college game, and that didn't work out at all. Let's be perfectly frank. <laughs> if you excuse mm-hmm. the pun. Um, it's just a situation here where Frank Reich's a guy who has a you know shit ton of experience in the NFL. He's obviously been a head coach for the Colts, but he's also been an offensive coordinator for teams. He obviously played in the NFL back in the day. So this is a guy that you can expect can steady the ship and hopefully get them uh, back up to be relevant again. I think the biggest problem for him is that he probably faces a similar situation to the Colts, where he built a solid team there alongside the uh, general manager, but. The quarterback position was such a bugbear that they were never able to turn that into a genuinely you know, powerful entity in the AFC. Obviously a tough job, but all the great quarterback talent there. Like He had a solid years when he had solid quarterback play like he had Philip Rivers, so it'll be interesting to see where they go, but a huge amount will, as it is for many head coaches, will swing on what they do at the quarterback position. Whether they go with Sam Darnold and, and draft someone and let them have a competition, or whether they go with a veteran option. There are options out there, depending where he wants to go, so I think overall it's a solid, safe hire and for Carolina team just looking to kind of, which has plenty of talent, but just needs some, I think, steady steady hand on his shoulder to kind of go in the right direction. I think he's a solid hire and we can see if he can take that next step, if he gets the the right look at the most important position in football.
0: Yes, uh, Houston have hired San Francisco defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, as head coach. Uh, this is obviously kind of a, I would say probably a sexy hire is probably the right term for this. Uh, D'Amico ryan has been on a number of people's Long lifts and shortlists for who they'd want. Uh, this Houston job is an interesting choice because I'm not sure, given the amount of upheaval within that organisation and like the immediate, the immediate history, the longer-term history, the problems of internal power struggles and whatnot, I'm not sure it's necessarily the job I'd want to be going for in that spot. But if you're a defensive-minded coach, they have some decent pieces. They got some performances out of themselves towards the tail end of the year. And this is a Texans team that have 11 picks in the 2023 draft uh i think they have is it five picks in the top 75 or something like that so like you're going to be able to inject a lot of young talent directly into this team uh so if you think that you can manage that effectively this is a pretty good spot for that now obviously there'll be you know questions of what the relationship will be like with the gm and so on but um so what do we think for D'Amico ryan's would it be better to hold off for a safer landing spot or take a big swing on this head coaching spot
2: so I think there's a few things in his favour. He obviously is a guy who had a history with the Texans, was a really good player for them. Won defensive rookie of the year, was an all-pro player for them. So he'll have the support of the fans, you would imagine, and has the respect of players as obviously a former uh, veteran himself. Um, so I think that will definitely help in the locker room and with the general atmosphere. Uh, we, we, we'll see in terms of the uh, you know the, the front office. Like I don't think the owner is a great person overall at running things but they did hire Nick Casario will be interested to see if he's kept on as GM he even talked himself that if the coach wanted him gone uh, during uh, he would leave but uh, I think Casario you know given the situation he and the rest of the organisation being you know it's been a tough tough sledding but I think this is a team where you would expect despite the evidence of the last two years that you know a young coach here probably getting a big contract um, will be given time to rebuild this roster which is really you know down to the studs basically at this point there are occasional moments of things that could be okay um like very little on the offense let's be honest like they have like a good offensive line overall like they have Tunsell and Howard and Kenyon Green so they have things to build around there so I suppose that's that's a positive but very little at the skill positions very little at quarterback on the defense they have some interesting pieces in the backfield like Derek Stingley Jr and Jalen Petrie but the front end basically needs a complete overhaul in my opinion and that's a lot of like uh, veterans who probably are well past their best at this point um. so it's I think it's a situation where if he's given time like let's say he has a three-year plan in mind then I think he, he you know given what they've given to him here um, he should be given that time to see what he can do here he's obviously a guy who's moved really quickly through the coaching ranks he was you know only hired by the 49ers like five years ago or so and was only made defensive coordinator two years ago and that's his only coordinator experience and he's I think he's just um, under 40, I think he's 38 at the moment. So he's a young guy, they're investing a lot in him, but he's a you know a legend with the team, so that should help smooth things over, and we can see if he makes that big step up. It's a big step up, but you know uh, the guy has obviously excelled um, at everything that he's done up to this point, so we'll see if he can do that again.
1: Yeah, I mean, my read on it is that it's the, it's the kind of fixer upper position. I mean, someone with Ryan's you know, recent success in the name that he's building could probably have gotten somewhere better, but you get the sense that with the tacticians you do have an or you know a team that you can basically sculpt entirely into your own image and maybe that's what he's he's going for above all else obviously there i mean how much that's going to be realized in practice when you've got a you know an, an or a, you know a structure a hierarchical structure above you that can be quite meddlesome and and toxic is going to be interesting to see um but certainly on the field the team will be his which that can go either way either you you get all the credit if the team becomes quite good and and, you know that they they have some pieces some small pieces they can build around and all these kind of draft picks etc but if it fails it's all on you as well so it's I imagine he knows what he's getting into in terms in terms of that particular burden, and it is a way to make your a name for yourself that maybe a more established team, he wouldn't get as much credit if he turned them into into a good team uh, in a few years.
0: Yeah, and we'll obviously talk about it in the build-up to the draft, but he's got an interesting decision in front of him with the second overall pick about how much he wants to lock in to this roster early on, or whether he wants to go and find maybe some veterans to come in and assist particularly coming from the San Francisco background he may have a strong opinion of being able to get away with I know your third fourth fifth string quarterback but we will come to that when we get to the games Uh, other coaching front office moves uh, a lot of coordinator moves going on so the LA Chargers have hired Dallas offensive coordinator Kellen Moore to be their offensive coordinators after he has left Dallas head Coach Mike McCarthy says that he's going to take over play calling in Dallas, a rare spot where an offensive coordinator on the move to something at the same level actually gets an upgrade, at quarterback, but whether or not... So this is a real test for Callum Moore. He was being touted for the last two or three years as being the heir apparent to taking over in Dallas, and that's obviously not happening. Uh, He's decided he likes the look of this, this, this setup. And to be fair, on paper, this Chargers team looks great, but they have managed to feck it up a while. We've said what they were crying out for was leadership in that position. And do we think Kellen Moore can be that guy?
1: I think this is a cataclysmically bad move by the Cowboys to let someone with, I mean, this much talent and this much hype around him leave because Mike McCarthy wants to do more play calling. I mean... If Kellen Callan, Callan Moore, I mean, there's a good chance Moore goes to the Chargers. He fixes, I mean, the, the Chargers obviously have some huge offensive problems in terms of their play calling and maximizing the you know, the the quality of Justin Herbert. If, if Moore turns Herbert into a superstar, and consequently the Chargers become very, very good very quickly, the Cowboys are going to look really stupid. And this already feels to me knowing we know about the cowboys in the last 25 years and how much of a farcical organization they are this already feels to me we're going to be looking back at 12 years and being like or 12 months and being like what a terrible terrible move to not try and hold on to this guy as much as possible when you know it's i you know i don't know why they seem to i mean the mccarthy thing he was apparently on the edge of being fired but now he's been given more responsibilities and the the one talented guy who might have been able to take over from is being is being moved on it just it's so cowboys in that sense that they're going to regret this but uh, I I have faith that he will do well in the charges and he will certainly make that team better than they were under the previous you know organization where there were serious problems with with, you know maximizing Herbert as as a quarterback talent Um, and Kellen Moore he made a superstar or was turning a superstar out of Dak Prescott who you know, the more and more it goes on, the less it's obvious. The less his talent, less obvious his talent becomes. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, I, I I think this would be a good move for Moore. I think it's a terrible, terrible decision by the Cowboys.
2: Yeah, like there there must be something going on, and obviously we'll we'll talk about that as more information becomes available. But this kind of feels like it came out of the blue. Like, you know, I don't know if Mike McCarthy was just looking to have more of an influence in this team. You know, when I suppose when your job's on the line and you kind of want to take control so that you're fully in control of your destiny, but objectively, you know, Part of the problem with his later tenure in Green Bay was where he was exclusively in control of the offense, and that led to him being bad at actually taking care of the you know, other aspects of coaching. And you know, some of the stories in the end of his time in Green Bay were great. So this just feels like a weird thing. Like obviously, Dak had a bit of a challenging year, so maybe there's some kind of subtext there with Dak not being happy with the offense. Apparently, it was an offense that put a lot of pressure on the quarterback to read the field and to kind of have a like a high level of understanding. So maybe there were issues there. But overall, like they scored lots of points in the years that Kellen Moore has been offense yes there's been I think like down games at like unfortunate moments but overall they've put up lots of points you can't really ask them to do much more than that and obviously for Kellen Moore like obviously a guy who's been talked about as a potential head coach to you know fall on your feet basically and get to coach Justin Herbert one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league and probably have basically complete run of there because obviously Brandon Staley's defensive coordinator he's Probably pretty happy with how that worked out overall. But, yeah, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Mike McCarthy's going full, like, interstellar, looking at his past self, screaming himself to stop himself uh, <laughs> in 12 months' time when he's fired. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, like, I, I don't really see the logic in this, except, you know, there's something there's something going on here yeah. that we, have, we don't know about yet, but I'm sure we'll find out. It always comes out in the end.
0: Yeah. New York Jets have hired former Denver head coach Nathaniel Hackett as their offensive coordinator. Hackett's tenure in the Broncos did not go well. I think it's fair to say. Um, this is where we put on the conspiracy theory hats or the, the, the what we think this is all building towards hat. Hackett was brought into Denver uh, because he had ran the Green Bay system, was a friend of and still is a very good friend of Aaron Rodgers, and they were hoping to attract Aaron Rodgers in the forthcoming sweepstakes. Didn't happen. He couldn't make it happen with... Uh, Russell Wilson, and looked terrible. He's been fired. He lands on the Jets. The Jets, who are in the market for a quarterback, the Jets, who have an owner who has talked about, actually, do you know what, two first-rounders for Aaron Rodgers actually sounds relatively workable, and they've now just hired Aaron Rodgers' favourite offensive coordinator to be the offensive coordinator. So I I kind of feel like this is just a move to collect Aaron Rodgers for them. Um, I would be very concerned that in Nathaniel Hackett's system, if he is in any way a decent offensive coordinator – that his system was so rigid that they couldn't get anything out of Russell Wilson on it, or that it could be something not dissimilar to the number of other coaches we've seen who have had high-profile quarterbacks behind them uh, at the same time, and that actually he doesn't do a huge amount uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and he just allowed Rodgers to do what he wanted, because the concern, and we, just, we, we mentioned there the Mike McCarthy issues, the Mike McCarthy issues back in the day there was that Aaron Rodgers felt that he wasn't being given free enough reign to make decisions, so that would suggest to me that if he didn't like McCarthy but he did like Hackett Hackett just let him kind of do his own thing
2: yeah so there's some you know important context here like the understanding that I had from the Jets situation when LeFleur was fired or sorry mutually parted ways in vertical comments is that there was pressure from ownership that the offense was bad and that uh, Robert Salah needed to make a change, uh, but like bringing in Nathaniel Hackett to me kind of sends a signal that Salah didn't really want to change the offense. He wants to keep many of the same pieces and some continuity. And Hackett, who obviously has experience in the Lafleur shanahan style system, although he has had uh, some success in other type of systems, for example, with Jacksonville back in the day when he was uh, with Blake Bortles, uh, good season, uh, although some bad season as well. Um, you know, this is someone who will probably not be overhauling things. So this kind of feels to me like Salah was forced to make a move and then when he had his choice brought in someone who will probably be more continuity than anything else. I think in the case of what happened in Denver, look, he, he obviously showed he was a bad head coach, especially in terms of game situations. But I would I would argue that Russell Wilson is not a good fit for that style of offense, but the Jets obviously have a lot more flexibility to bring in a guy who um, was, would actually suit it more. So I don't know if it was he who was inflexible or he just wasn't willing to give in to Russell Wilson's inflexibility on the offensive side. But I'm sure we'll find out um, with the Jets, obviously, an interesting situation with the quarterback situation in a heavy degree of flux. Um, so he'll have his, you know, work cut out for him. But I'm sure they'll be making potentially making moves, whether that be Rogers or elsewhere, to uh, try and ameliorate that this offseason
1: I think it has to be Rogers. I can't, I can't understand this if it's not a precursor to bringing in Aaron Rodgers. Basically, that's said last off season. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, but to be honest, that's also the only reason I could think that Nathaniel Hackett was their head coach in Denver at the time. So yeah. Uh, like, like, there's continuity
2: in terms of the system. Like, Salah probably didn't want someone completely different. He wants a guy who understands the system and probably was just forced to change the coordinator to keep the ownership happy, which is not is a good a,
0: system. But This is a broader question for for, for for probably closer into the off season. but just off the top of your head, there's a lot of media noise around this idea that Salah now is on the hot seat and that has to play-offs sort or of bust this year or will be gone. I would have thought looking at the performance this year and the injury situation that knocked him down a bit, I, would have, I wouldn't think he's anywhere close to a hot seat next year. Yeah, I would hope
1: not. I mean, given how much he's turned that organisation around in the last 12 months, but given it's the Jets, I would not put it past them, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. Uh, next up, the Rams have hired, uh, speaking of the level Jets, former offensive coordinator Michael Fleur to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, obviously, as we said, they come from a similar system as Hackett. Um This is a Rams team that, quite frankly, shit the bed majorly last year. They, after having an open question for the last two months about whether their head coach would be returning, he is returning, but because he took his while to make his decisions, uh, a large swath of their staff has gone, so they need to replace a couple of people. Is this a slots into his system and doesn't get in the way of what is an offensively-minded head coach who likes to control that side of the ball a lot? Or what do you see out of this one, Ronan?
2: I wouldn't go that far. Like I don't think it's like a case where McVeigh has some kind of puppet, uh, just doing his things. Like honestly, I feel sometimes like that's more thing in New England than it would be in a team like the Rams. But I think you know he does need people to take care of some of the day-to-day stuff. Like for like sorry, McVay's a great play caller, a great play designer. Uh, but obviously he's focused on the wider aspects of being a great head coach. So and he can't do the installs. Someone. Yeah, the insults and kind of like stuff in practice and stuff like that and, you know, just kind of doing everything day to day. And LeFleur obviously has extremely large amount of uh, comfort with the system, obviously, because it's part of the wider Shanahan, McVeigh uh, type uh, style. And obviously LeFleur, obviously his brother is head coach in Green Bay as well. Um, so I think, you know, for LeFleur, obviously a tough time with the Jets. How much of that was his fault, you know, you could argue about. Um, but certainly uh, this is a good situation. Most years, um, if you take away last year, most years it's been good to be a Rams offensive coordinator or a Rams offensive assistant because more often than not, those guys have been head coached. Like, I suppose huge questions on that offense. Matt Stafford is coming back, but we, you know, saw some deterioration in his play as his health issues seem to have caught up, you know big issues on the offensive line that took a huge step back after the retirement people like Andrew Whitworth after the Super Bowl win you know and obviously outside Cooper Cup you're kind of looking like who's going to be the wide receiver too uh, is Cam Akers going to be your running back one so a lot of work to do there but I think with McVeigh at the saddle we've seen more often than not um that they'll figure things out um as long as injuries don't kill them because obviously you know Cup and Stafford everyone got injured so I don't know how much you can say the Rams sucked except you know they were probably going to suck they just need to ask their uh, division rivals in the NFC Championship game what happens when you lose enough players
0: were they going to suck they had most of their people there for the first 6 to 10 weeks and they were terrible yeah so
2: the, the early the early goings weren't great but I thought they would probably figure it out but like you know the things that were still good like Cup or whatever were still working so they just needed to add things onto it um, so it was a down year but uh, I think they can sort it out
0: fair enough uh, Miami have hired former Denver head coach Vic Fangio to be their defensive coordinator Obviously, Miami, looking at what was a very promising year offensively until uh, kind of the concussions and injuries started to, to to wear and tear down their their explosiveness on that side of the ball. Their defense had pl- moments, we'll say, of of, of, of high level play, but overall were a bit of a letdown. I really like this hire. Uh, I think Vic Fangio was a very good selection, of defensive coordinator questions maybe about being a full head coach but i think vec excellent defensive coordinator uh and i think should make for a very very good pairing in miami uh the only thing i suppose would just be the the age difference and experience difference between the head coach and the defensive coordinator might seem a little bit stark but uh if they can manage that i i just think this is a smart hire what do you think sean
1: yeah no i i 100 agree i think we we We've seen Vic Fangio's level, and it's not head coach. It's definitely defensive coordinator. I mean, he never worked out really as a head coach, but his his defenses have been consistently great. I think I read a stat recently where he's he's been a defensive coordinator for twenty two years, and in ten of those, he's produced top ten defenses. Um, and there's also been there's some discussion that his his speciality is red zone, which is. Red zone defense, which mm. is where the Dolphins were weakest last year, so it really feels like they've they, they've zoomed in on this is the this is the exact problem that we have, and this is the problem we need to fix. And obviously, the Dolphins they 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 look really good at times this year, and also really bad. the 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 offense was more noticeably up and down, but the defense did kind of fade out as, as the season went on. So, bringing that kind of experience to to a, a coaching team that maybe doesn't have that much experience at the top end I think is is a good kind of trade-off you've seen things like is Wade Phillips who's kind of done this kind of stuff as well bringing in you know being the the, the experienced hand to kind of help the younger head, head coach so I think I think it makes sense all around and as a, a fan of a rival AFC East team I'm a little bit annoyed because I think this makes the Dolphins going to be very good defensively next year
2: yeah, and you know he's been paid a lot of money, and just to say like there are like as we're here right now there are he has said I haven't totally took this job yet, so maybe there's a little bit more there, but like everyone's saying that he's gonna get hired, so I assume it's safe enough. Um, but I think you know the fact he's getting paid this much probably indicates that he's gonna be the executive of the defense and that it's basically gonna be his baby. Um, and that kind of makes sense. Like, look, uh, like Mike McDaniel is a very young coach, obviously really good the offensive side. So this is a kind of move that people like, say even Sean McVeigh have made in the past where they hire uh, these like veteran guys and kind of let them run that for a while. And I think, you know, Josh Boyer, the guy he's replacing was a holdover from the previous regime from Brian Flores. Um, and I think this was a case where Mike McDaniel kind of looked at the defense and some of the more exotic stuff that was happening. And he's like, maybe I need someone who's, I can take more ownership of what's happening in the defense where it's not just, you know, what. Was been run by the previous guys and, and now i'm just responsible for it um so i think vic fangio has you know such a great resume that you would expect him to succeed uh but the one note that probably is that his defense has become his style of defense has become so prevalent that it'll be interesting to see um what adjustments and stuff he's made himself um onto that defense in the year off that he had the chance to think about it
0: yeah and uh finally Atlanta have hired New Orleans co defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen to be their defensive coordinator. Um we got a couple of surprising games out of Atlanta last year uh like probably a bit more feisty down the down the tail end than we were expecting but overall it's a it's kind of talent poor roster there's a lot of rebuilding to happen in here. Um Ryan Nielsen isn't a guy that I know a ton about like I know he's spent all of his time up to this point with the Saints and he's worked pretty much all across the defenses. Like he's done he did was line coach for a while, he's done assistant head coach, he's done defensive line and defensive or co-defensive coordinator. So like he has he has a multitude of years experience of a period when and I think this is important sorry, a period when the Saints had a proper top tier defense. His most recent outings have maybe not been up to quite the stuff that we thought that it would be. Like They were fine on defense in Joran's last year. They didn't blow anyone away in a spot where they very much to be competitive would have to have. Um, But this guy has seen very successful defenses, ones that have caused issues for some of the top end quarterbacks. So if he can try and recreate any of that, it makes sense to me. But yeah, I, I, I don't know a ton about him because he's never really had too much that was just his that was put out there. He tended to be working with people.
2: Yeah, so he's been with the Saints for since twenty seventeen, and during that time they've done pretty well. And obviously he's, I think he's had a few offers over the years, like LSU, and he had a few more offers this offseason. Um, so he's obviously a guy that's liked by people uh, within the industry um and the players seem to like the players who've talked about it are obviously uh happy-ish for him uh, in the sense that he's going to a rival but uh he's obviously been a good person there so yeah he's not one of the big names it's gonna like you know create a lot of buzz like Vic Fangio, but he's obviously a guy that has a lot of respect in the league uh with the atlanta falcons he'll possibly be changing the scheme to be more like the new orleans saints and to be fair just in terms of 2022 like the new orleans saints that i crap ton of injuries so I think there's some excuse there for why they took a bit of a step back Um, so he has and I think given the nebulous stage of the Atlanta defensive roster he'll pretty much have full probably capacity to alongside the head coach and the GM to re- remake that in whatever image he believes would make more sense for this team going forward uh, once again I think the only issue for him is that Atlanta you know, um, their head coach has been there two years. They've been rebuilding for two years. I wonder, you know, like they have a decent owner overall uh, in blank. But, you know, the third year, you have another sucky year. I'd wonder, you know, how much raw rope there will be left. But uh, that's not really a concern for him. He's probably just taking the job
0: because it seems like a good opportunity to, uh, you know, take that step up. Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, let's have a look at some injuries from around the league. We'll start off with the ones who are not relevant to the playoffs. So San Francisco, Brock Purdy... Oh, this was a this was a rough one. To so receive a an elbow injury early on in the game, uh, he then left the game and then was kind of forced to come back in later on. It turns out that he's had a it's an UCL is that what it's called? Um yeah. Elbow injury, which is quite a bad injury and quite often can lead to Tommy John stuff in baseball players. Yeah. So the expectation is that this is going to be a minimum of six months, but if it it goes all the way to Tommy John surgery, like pitchers have been known to have to take eighteen months to come back from that, so it's a crushing injury for an incredibly great story coming into this and what seemed to be someone who was kind of growing into being maybe not a top end starter, but like was was growing into probably being able to keep himself a good long career here and this is just it's a tough spot when you're on a on a roster with multiple quarterbacks that you maybe just about earned your spot in and now you know you're definitely you're definitely not back for the start of next year so you're gonna have to win back a spot if you've even got a shot at that
1: yeah it it's it's heartbreaking for the kid because obviously he's the unlikeliness of him getting from a seventh round, I mean, the, the Mr. Irrelevant to being a starter in a conference championship game. I mean, it's unlike, I mean, if he falls out of the, the Niners, the the, the the system, or he, he falls down the pecking order there and he has to start somewhere else. It's I mean, I suspect the system helps him an awful lot more, certainly at this stage of his career than otherwise. I mean, I'm just thinking like had Tom Brady lost Belichick, as a as a head coach very early in his career it's quite possible he would never have amounted to to very much and purdy's probably in that in that in that kind of purgatory now where he might fall away there's also the worry injuries tend to could be quite damaging to to any kind of young talent you know any injury that requires you to be out for six months or more is is always potentially not only a career ender but a, you know effectively a talent ender it reduces your ability to play so much that you don't ever get back to that level again. So it's just it's just really bad timing for a, for a guy who, you know, he's he hit the lottery basically, and now he's hit the, whatever the opposite of the lottery is because it's it's likely now he's his career might peter out uh, unless he can stay in the San Francisco system and, and work his way back up to the top um, of that uh, depth chart. Because certainly the the Niners, it was looking like they're going to have a QB controversy, but now they'll probably just go back to Trey Lance, um, and Purdy will find it very hard to get back as QB1 in, in San Francisco going forward. Yeah, like,
2: look, if the best-case scenario comes true and it's a six-month recovery, he would be back for around the start of training camp. Um, So he would be live in terms of a competition with Trey Lance, who obviously is coming back from his own severe injury. Jimmy G's a free agent. I don't think they'll bring him back, but given what's happened now to both their young quarterbacks. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> I
0: imagine they'll be keeping nine fucking quarterbacks on the roster
2: like... Yeah. So it, it's a difficult position to be in. Now, there is a downside risk of the Tommy John surgery, which I don't think any quarterback has actually had to do, but it's often rumoured around. I think Ben Roethlisberger, for example, back in the day, was rumoured that he might have to do it, and he managed to avoid it because it's such a huge risk. Uh, I bet it was just Ben Roethlisberger saying that because he loved to protect yeah, yeah, yeah. injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for Purdy, obviously, just terrible timing for him when he looked at the cusp of potentially, you know, becoming a starting mm. NFL quarterback as Mister Irrelevant. It would have been an amazing, uh, you know, story for him. But uh, yeah, definitely Trey Lance probably in a better position now to take over that position once again um, than he was uh, before this injury occurred. So awful timing for him within the game,
0: and obviously awful time for him in terms of his mm. future. Uh, the Chargers' quarterback Justin Herbert has gone for labrum surgery, and he's expected to be back for the off-season program in spring. And uh, Indianapolis running back Jonathan Taylor has had ankle surgery, and he's expected to be back for training camp. Both guys who I don't think are have any major risk. Um, well, obviously Justin Herbert won't. Jonathan Taylor, I suppose, has had maybe not his best year, but there was a lot. There was there's a lot. Of other noise going on in that team so I think he'll, he'll be fine going into this year but then it's going to be a question of viability of him as a top end running back going on to a new contract following that but uh yeah like that's that's our off sell our, our off season relevant ones uh do you want to chat about either of those or we just move into the playoff relevant ones
2: yeah well like, look, Herbert it's, as, it's on his non-throwing shoulder so obviously not as big a concern uh, having this type of surgery and it doesn't sound like it's too severe just precautionary uh, it's probably means he won't be playing in the pro bowl games oh no uh, and jonathan taylor um he was just saying he would played with ankle injury all year it was affecting his explosiveness um and he was just saying they just cleared out his ankle cleared out a lot of stuff out of there it sounds like he's like picking his nose or something like that but like uh like it's just a situation where you know obviously for a guy as you say who's going into an important year in terms of making money um i think he will be probably erring on the side of getting fully recovered before going back in the field and you probably
0: won't see him till training camp Yeah, Uh, let's have a look at those for the playoff relevant teams. Not to spoil it, but I suppose if you're listening to a podcast about it, you've probably already seen the results of the games, I'm guessing. Uh, Kansas City and Philadelphia are going to be going to the playoffs. Uh, For the Kansas City side, the current list of injuries are Kadarius Toney has an ankle injury, Juju Smith-Schuster has a knee injury, Nicole Hardman has a pelvis injury, LeJarius Sneed has a concussion, Willie Gay has a shoulder injury, and obviously there's the ongoing issue with Pat Mahomes Ankle. all of those players are uncertain for the Super Bowl apart from Pat Mahomes who said there's no fucking chance in hell he's not going to be playing there <laughs> um and as we said he will literally steal someone else's like jersey and just go on pretending to be a different player uh, Philadelphia uh, offensive lineman Landon Dickerson has injured his elbow in a hyper extension uh it, he's uncertain for the Super Bowl but we have seen reports out today that he is uh, going to be playing or expected to be playing for it and then obviously Jalen Hurts and we'll talk about this when we get to the game review uh coming back from that shoulder injury i think it was that he had beforehand it might it looked a little bit like it was still affecting him a little bit so we'll we'll talk about that in overall the game but he's not a risk for for the playoffs so obviously um a little a, a, a little bit more skewing against Kansas City here on the injury list two weeks out
2: yeah, like look, like this is obviously a huge hit to their wide receiver core. They're really relying on guys like Sky Moore and MVS, and obviously Travis Kelsey, who himself had some back spasms issues that he played through um, going into the championship game. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Uh, but you know, if you know if you miss like one of these guys, it's probably okay. But if you miss like two of them, three of them, then suddenly things get very thin there, and you might see more of the run game or something like that. So it's difficult. And on the defense, don't underestimate these like. Uh, to be fair, the the young defensive backs in Kansas City had a great game in the championship game, but you know uh, they are young. You would imagine that you know Philadelphia will be finding any weaknesses that they have. And Snead's probably been the best cornerback overall this year, and Willie Gay's been a, a really solid player at linebacker alongside Bolton. So you know you definitely don't want to miss either of those. But you know at this point, none of them have been ruled out, and obviously if any of them can play, they will play because it's the fucking Super Bowl, and yeah. obviously that goes
0: for Dickerson as well. Yeah and uh the only other bit of news i suppose is uh the NFL has announced the cap's going to increase from 208.2 million to 224.8 million so a big 16.6 million more for teams to spend in the upcoming season. Um we'll talk about this a little bit more in the off season because there's a couple of players who are going to be due quite large scale deals coming up but this type of movement is one of the reasons why there's currently discussions happening around at least one if not two superstar players uh about making their cap hit a proportion of the nfl total cap rather than making it a fixed figure but uh like i said i think that's more one for the off season, right
2: yeah and i think this is i think it's like one or two million less than the the true cap nerds expected due to
1: the increase in interest rates but uh yeah pretty solid increase regardless
0: yeah uh, and on that you know
1: you're getting pretty deep pretty when you're talking about how the in- increased interest rates is going to affect the, the cap yeah. in the NFL
2: I believe the technicality is that technically during the pandemic the players took a loan from the owners and that's why that's kind of eating into the cap or something like that but anyway I probably don't need to know about
0: that <laughs> yeah I think, uh, I think they'll survive and on that lovely note let's move on and have a look at the games from Championship Weekend <laughs> So we'll take these in the order that they occurred. First up, the NFC Championship San Francisco traveling to Philadelphia. Uh, and this one was a little bit of a one-sided affair, unfortunately. 7-31. to 31. Uh, Two San Francisco quarterback injuries left them in a bad spot. We mentioned already Brock Purdy doing his UCL. They didn't realize until later on in the game that that was what it was because I don't think they would have been letting him back into the game afterwards. Uh, and then there was discussion about possibly and we can just we can talk about it if we want about the possibility of just moving to christian mccaffrey as a wildcat running back at that spot which given how it went might not have been the worst idea so philly were basically easy to just slide into the super bowl by using their run game without having to really think about too much they went for 150 yards and four touchdowns on the ground and their defense did what their defense does three fumbles turnover on downs three sacks five tackles for a loss and held them to 160 yards. This was I would say a game for the purists. Is that the uh, is that the best way Not to put even. it? Not even like <laughs> this was a one-sided beat down with a very strong defense on both sides. Like Philadelphia's offense didn't really look very good in this game either, but they didn't really have to because they were able to run the ball and they were able to have their defense get turnovers for them, Hurts at 160 yards and a touchdown. As I said in the news section, like I they didn't need to use them. So maybe that plays into it a little bit, but they also looked like they didn't want to. And there was moments where even when he was throwing, he didn't look as comfortable and his release didn't look quite as good. So I think he'll, he'll be happy to have the two weeks to try and kind of work around that. And even things like design runs, they used them, from time to time, they use them on their sneaks and everything, but like you could see, they didn't even want to bother with that. And as I said, look at the scoreline; they didn't, they didn't have to. Uh, San Francisco's defense fought hard; they got a sack, they had seven tackles for a loss, but like they were making mistakes, they were given bad flags, they weren't able to stop them in the red zone. But Philly are, they are absolute killers in the red zone. But you know. There was just not very much they could do. They didn't have a lot of passing options. They were back down to Jack Johnson very early on, who just didn't have the ability to lead them. Christian McCaffrey stepped up and kind of kept them somewhat relevant. He had 106 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown run was something else, though, wasn't it? The again, getting tackled by three or four boys helped to stay upright by one of the linemen, I believe it was behind him, and then outpacing another man. So it kept them kept them in it for a bit, but just there was there was just no way, even with the even with a top-performing defense, could San Francisco stay in this game? Uh, they just had nothing on offense towards the tail end. It really tested the how far can you know any QB work in this Shanahan system? But um, yeah, like a disappointing end for San Fran. Philly rolling into the next game, probably brimful of confidence. I don't think you can take a single thing away from this game.
1: No, it's as conference championship games go. This was the. Most useless game ever. Uh, Philly, you know, they executed well. They did what they needed to do. That they, they, they did fairly good against what was what is a very elite defense. And I mean, they did score thirty-one points against, uh, uh, you know, the number one defense in the league. So that is a thing. But I mean, they were never really challenged at any point. The, you have they haven't really been challenged in this playoff run at all. I mean, I don't know if we really have a hundred you know, percent sense of how good this Eagles team actually is. And certainly, it, it's they're going into facing the best team they probably faced all year in the Super Bowl, which you know is ideal from a fan's perspective, but maybe not ideal from an Eagles coaching perspective. Um, their, de- I mean, the big thing for for me was they did have a lot of, you know, their defense did look quite strong here, a lot of defensive aggression. Hassan Reddick was, was just, you know, you know. St- Disrupting absolutely everything that the the Niners tried to get going, but I don't think we learned an awful lot about the Eagles other than they're better than a team that doesn't have a quarterback, which is probably true of most teams in the NFL. I mean, for me, that the story is, is the Niners. It's the heartbreak of this team that you know has you know it's their Shanahan's entire reign has been: are we going to have enough players to actually field a, you know a reasonable team this year? Um, so many injuries have have destroyed seasons that have otherwise looked uh, promising. Um and you know, in this game to, to lose four quarterbacks in one season is just inconceivable uh, in terms of you how do you overcome that. Um and ultimately you, they learned the ultimate lesson in 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 you know American football. You at some point you need an actual quarterback if you want to win a game. Um and, and for a while it looked like maybe they were going to grind it out. I mean they're the kind of the second quarter of this game or the kind of the first bits of the second quarter kind were giving me vibes of San Francisco playoff games from last year where they were just going to grind it out and it was going to be a low scoring game and they were going to do just enough to win. The defense was was doing well. The Eagles didn't really seem to know how they were going to respond to them. CMC was making plays. But then that Johnson fumble at the end at near the end of the second was effective at the end of the game because Philly got to go up 14 points and you know the Niners are never going to produce offensively. Even with Johnson under center to compete with that. And then when he was gone, they didn't have any ch- chance at all. So for the Niners, I mean, this is one of the, the weird things about American sports is that you, you play your entire season for one game. And if that one game goes really badly, then that's, you know, the, the bad taste in your mouth lingers forever. So the Niners, really great season. And they really look like a, the top, top team at times, but you just can't overcome this level uh, of bad luck. Um, I still think that with the talent they have, if they can hold on to the, the important pieces and with the coaching they have, this team is going to win a Super Bowl, um, provided they can stay healthy. But unfortunately with this team, that is a very big if these days because they just, whether it's just whatever their conditioning or something is not up to it or they just don't have the luck, this team is just incredibly injury prone and it is it's hurting them right at the moment when they look like they can go all the way. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, my sympathies with the Niners and with Eagles, I, st- I in my head... The jury is still a little bit out on this team, but obviously when you're in the Super Bowl, you can't really say that. But uh, I'm not 100% convinced this team is, this Eagles team is, is truly elite, but we, I guess we'll find out in two weeks' time.
2: Yeah, the that saying about Harold McMillan's like, events, dear boy, events, like that's what this game was. It just came down to a handful of things that happened that basically turned it from an intriguing, like tense kind of defensive-led battle into basically an trivial game for Philly where in the second half for most of it they didn't even look that they were trying they were happy enough to just hold on and scratch up whatever points they could while San Francisco basically didn't have any quarterback play uh, once Josh Johnson went out Um, in terms of the early goings like you saw you know the respective strengths of these teams like I know Philly have questions after having a pretty you know uh, easy armchair ride through the season let, let's be honest uh, but they did show some of the things that make them great their defense is a force to be reckoned with and um, their defensive line is deep you know you have multiple post pass rushers there who have over 10 sacks for the season that San Reddick has really you know blown up uh, this year with the Eagles and, and he's, not, he's not even used all the time and obviously the interior defensive line was holding CMC mostly in check except for that really amazing run that he had for that touchdown Um, so and obviously they were able to get those turnovers they got the injuries um, on the two quarterbacks, obviously we're not saying they went full Greg Williams or anything, but like that—that that was just you know a consequence of how much pressure they were getting. And you know the Eagles team is a team that's more than willing to run the ball and grind you down, and they were able to do that here with a combination of Gainwell and Sanders. And it's obviously a multi-head attack where Hurts uh, can come in. And I think you see like you know when they were on the goal line and like San Francisco managed to you know stop them getting the the QB sneak thing that's worked for them all year. That's so good that some people are talking about making it illegal. They just did it again and it worked the next time, and that's against Obviously one of the best defences in the league. Um, so I think, you know, like I would have some concerns about Hurts in terms of the uh, shoulder. He did have one nice throw that obviously was caught by DeFonte Smith that wasn't technically a catch. Um, you know, you know, he, he was bobbled, it hit the ground. But, you know, the, the refs didn't catch that. And obviously the refs get it in the neck a bit. But, uh, yeah, I think for Philly, you know, they didn't have to do much here. But they did what they needed to do. And, and, you know, they didn't risk themselves, which is a smart thing to do. For San Francisco, yeah, there's just nothing you do. Sometimes you just get the bad beats. And there's you just have to take them, and you know you could tell by the end of this game the 49ers were just you know incredibly pissed off that they there was nothing they could do. You know there was a big fight at the end where Trent Williams went full yeah. WWE on I think Wallace, one of the linebackers for Philly, uh, George Kittle after the game just sounded completely fucking dejected by the whole situation. And you know outside CMC having a couple of nice plays, they really just there was just so little for them to hold on to. And I suppose you know for the 49ers fans, and I'm I'm privy to a few chats with them, you know if what you. To hold on to is just hating the refs, sure, but you know, you know, it's, it's better, I suppose, the alternative than you know you didn't have a chance to begin with, like, and I think. You know, I suppose there were brief moments where maybe if they'd held on here or held on here, maybe it could have been a little closer and a little less of a you know a trivial uh, like outcome at the end. Like you think about the end of the end of the second half where they allow Philly to score one touchdown due to a bunch of defensive flags, and then the next drive, um, uh, they they fought, like San Francisco fumbled the ball as Sean talked about, and that just like like once that happened, you know, the game was over, and Josh Johnson getting a concussion at the beginning of the second half just compounded that, but. uh yeah, like, you know, shit happens sometimes, unfortunately. And uh, Philly, uh, you know, there, there is one known thing we learned from this, which is that Philly are going to the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. What do you think of it? You were mentioning that you've got some friends who you're privy to conversations with who are, who are who are 49ers fans. I got a few as well. I was looking at the stuff, and they were obviously annoyed about this. They were, as you said... Very annoyed about the refing in this, but they were also, for the most part, adamantly sure that if Brock Purdy wasn't injured, they'd win this game.
2: I, I don't think, like, if this had been full health, no one got injured, I think this was going to be a really tense, close game. The defences were the best units for both sides and both halves. I think overall, I think I would have still favoured Philly slightly because I think they were getting some more push in the run game. I think their offensive line was mm-hmm. doing a little bit better than the vice versa battle, but it would have been really close. It would have been a really interesting game, but it's not the game we had. But The game yeah. we had is where all those events happened and we get a pushover.
0: Because that's kind of the... the... My issue with the take of it's just purely the injuries for San Francisco to cost them is this was a game where obviously San Francisco have a very good defense and obviously they have a very highly paid, well-ranked offense. They lost on both sides of the line in this game. And you can say it's tiredness later on in it because they're not you know, getting the the, the, the split between offense and defense. But the first quarter, even pre-injury, they were getting blown off the line on both sides
2: yeah like it was tough for them early on but they were staying within touch they were only mm. uh, one touchdown down they they evened up the game with that cmc touchdown so like yes i think philly had the edge but it wasn't the big edge and i think obviously through the course of a game you you know that those things can come back and forth so look i think 49ers fans are like oh we would have won that game are wrong uh but philly fans who are saying oh well this is always going to happen would also be wrong i think it's just you know what yeah, you know, we could we could speak about what could have been, but what, what, we got yeah. is what we got. As
0: as I said, it's a game it's very hard to take anything from, so I suppose they can read into that however they want. Yeah. But uh it could have been different and it could have meant something. Uh let's move on to the AFC Championship. Uh, Cincinnati traveled to Kansas City to Head to take on the Kansas City Chiefs.
2: That's a uh, dumb
0: name. It was such it sounds, a dumb name. It, it, was it sounds like a, a shark. Name. That's a it shark does. name. And it's also what the fuck is your mayor doing, saying that? Like, just shut up and win, and just don't, yeah, uh, don't, don't give Bolton board material to either side, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like um, Connor,
2: I'm looking forward to your anti-ref screed here in a moment. But anyway, keep going. Oh no, yeah, no, 22,
0: 23. Butker gets a 45-yard field goal uh, at the tail end to kind of let them get back this came on the back of a roughing the passer penalty that went off on a sigh and a bit of a bit of a long run from before that um yeah it was kind of a it was a closely ran game for the most part between Mahomes at 334 yards three touchdowns and a fumble uh kind of surviving on his one and a half legs uh, of the, I think we mentioned them during the news section, injuries to the Chiefs. Uh, we were down to a very unusual collection of pass catchers by the end of this with uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling going for over 110 yards and a touchdown. Kelsey got his touchdown. He was held to 78 yards uh, but he was there and was providing a lot of moving to change in it. Burrow had 270 yards touchdown, two interceptions. Um But yeah, basically the O-line that had looked so successful against the Bills last week in the snow wasn't quite able to handle the Kansas City defense early on. They took a number of sacks, a couple of tackles for a loss. And then towards the back end of the second quarter, they adjusted and they were starting to get an awful lot more breathing room for them. They were able to get things going. Kansas City Chief got two interceptions, five sacks, um, with two for Jones, who I mentioned finally got off the schneid on that one. Six tackles for a loss. There was one or two other interception he type passes or ones that were called back on, on, on DPIs and stuff, but yeah it was it was interesting. Uh the refs didn't have a very good day in this game full stop. They had missed calls, they had ghost calls. There was an incredibly confusing series in the third quarter, I believe it happened, where the Chiefs were going for it on third and nine and they were unsuccessful, but one of the refs came running in from the back and said, well, actually, there was a ref trying to blow off the, the, the play. Uh, people didn't hear the whistle, but they were just going to reset it. So rather than fourth and nine, it was back to third and nine. They got a do-over, which makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, I believe something similar happened in a Raiders game at the start of this year, the tail end so of last year, the, the and they allowed was, the thing to stand.
1: If, if I if, The issue was, as I understand it, that there was an incomplete pass, but the clock had kept running. And so they had to, they had to stop. They had to reset to the clock stop. I don't know why they didn't just take the take the extra time on the time after yeah. or whatever. It was, but that was that. The logic was because the clock was running when the next play happened. It wasn't a legitimate mm. play or something. Yeah.
0: So I, I i i saw a couple of rules experts try and explain what the what the rationale is, but like the problem is the rationale doesn't massively make sense, particularly for the Bengals in this spot. So the idea would be this. Coach running in, or this ref running in to blow the whistle, might have been heard by some players and not others, so they had to reset. But, like, surely if he's running in from the defensive side, it would be the defenders who heard it, and they were fine. They were happy with the outcome, so, like, they wouldn't have any issue with it. But yeah, the, the the problem then was once again this is quite a ticky tacky match. So on the reset, they actually managed to get down and sack Mahomes if I remember correctly. But the problem was that in the backfield they had defensive pass interference, and that penalty moved them forward. So it was just it was just a massive clusterfuck, and that was the first of a number of massive clusterfucks by the refs in this game. Um, there was one or two missed calls, particularly there was a there was definitely a. a, a Hands was it hands of the face or was it just pass interference on the, on burrow uh, later on I think it was Chris Jones gave him a tap right like there was definitely a I missed believe, call uh, on that
2: Frank Clark gave him a little bit of a love tap and he yeah. fell over and that was just after the uh, the third down thing because like just to be important, importantly that drive didn't actually go anywhere the one with the two third downs
0: yeah uh, yeah I think
2: it finish the next uh, the next set of series. Which, ah, yeah, but, but you know, if, I, if, I, if, outcomes shouldn't if,
0: dictate dictated. It shouldn't have happened if, in the first
2: if, place. If, yeah, yeah, but if you start drawing the tape, it's like, well, the Chiefs only needed 30 seconds at the end. That 30 seconds would, you know, anyway. Um, so it is what it is like. I uh, like it. Yeah, look, the, the officiating was pretty embarrassing overall. But uh, Yeah,
0: yeah. but no, look, the Chiefs are happy enough to manage to get out of this one in in this spot that did take kind of quite a lot, and they were quite banged up throughout it, but... Look, I'll, t- I'll take it as a win, but like similarly, I don't think, there's not a ton I could take from this because I think there was, there was periods where the Ch- Chiefs' defence looked utterly dominant and then there was also just periods where they went, ah, who needs to cover wide receivers and just let them tear off downfield without covering them properly. Maybe some of that was to do with injuries, as we said. We had cornerbacks coming off with injuries as well who would normally be on number ones. But yeah, Philly has a lot of weapons. We'll talk about it in the previews afterwards, but Kansas City struggles with the Cincinnati defense like this and they were quite good at shutting down elements of it I'm not sure I'm not sure how that bodes for Philly from the Cincinnati perspective I think they played well in parts but it was only in parts and that was the problem was that this is a this is a Cincinnati team that was 100 percent capable of winning this game but it adjusted and then it didn't readjust quickly enough um I think, but to be honest, it was a very close game. It was a bit of a messy game as well. Yeah, you can take again you can take out of as little or as much as you want, realistically.
2: Like for me I think you're I think you're understanding the game a little bit. Like I think if you're talking about a game for the purists, like maybe this falls to this category. I don't think it was like that boring for the average viewer. But I think the big thing for me is that this was a really interesting game in terms of how both teams were adjusting to what they were doing and I think the big thing for the Chiefs is that in the early innings it was the Bengals that were being forced to adjust the Chiefs defence was getting to Burrow it felt like every second play they were getting him sacked a lot like most of these sacks were early on though obviously the key sack um, that stopped the Bengals on their final drive and then gave the Chiefs the opportunity to get the field goal uh, did happen from Chris Jones late on but it was early that they were truly dominating Joe Burrow they managed to extract a pick out of it um, a really great play from Jalen Watson who seems to a really good um, postseason uh, but they got another interception in the second half as well so you know i think the defense from uh, from spags really stepped up like obviously this is an offensive line that was you know down to two starters it was something we expected to be a big issue last week the bills for whatever reason the weather just bad scheming weren't able to but spags is obviously a guy who is not afraid to go all out he's not afraid to get embarrassed the occasional time no to get he, that big he, he play. does not
0: understand not blitzing <laughs>
2: yeah like you know he's been in the toughest situation against one of the greatest teams of all time and didn't give a fuck so you know I doubt he's too worried about Joe Burrow and he managed to make Joe Burrow's life really really difficult particularly in that first half and you know two interceptions from Joe Burrow is a is a pretty good outcome I would say for the Chiefs defense Uh, but I think you know the the, the Bengals did adjust as the game went on like one thing that was pointed out uh, during the game was that they started to bring guys into the backfield who would either you know either like block and or chip and just kind of give Burrow that extra second and two because Burrow's obviously one of the the best quarterbacks in the league right now and obviously unlike Mahomes has his uh, full faculties which he was definitely starting to show a little bit more at the end in terms of running the ball Um, but you know I think it was just a situation where the offensive line just couldn't give him just literally the minimum amount of time you need um, just to be able to make those plays but you know they were starting to make those big plays you know they make up the touchdown importantly in the first half and then they had a really fun uh, touchdown for T. Higgins, where he basically mossed uh, the two uh, Kansas City uh, yeah. defensive backs. Uh, that was really <laughs> that was really good to see. To be fair, so you know, I think the fact that the I, like that was the thing I talked about in the preview right last week was that I lo- like the thing I like about this Bengals team is that they adjust, that they change, that they they evolve, and they did that here. But I just think like they put themselves in a little bit of a hole here with the early innings, and I think the Chiefs also showed a capacity to adjust, particularly on the defense towards the end. There was like a middle part where I think you know, uh, you know the 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 borough, and the offense was winning for a while, but then things moved around, and I think things came back to, to parity, and then slightly in the Chiefs' favor. Like you know, don't forget there was a bunch of punts at the end of this game. Like the yeah, last, yeah, a lot uh, of before it. the field goal, it was punt, interception, punt, punt. Like in, and obviously you know in a normal game that's fine, but with the Chiefs and the Bengals, you're expecting you know that's difficult to do in the fourth quarter. Most of it not scoring. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, and then on the offense, sorry, on the defense, I think on Aruma did find you know his 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 time. And I think the big thing is that he you know like he was he. Still giving away those kind of easy short passes he started to make things more confusing on the defensive line putting eight guys along the line of scrimmage creating you know as much uncertainty as he could for Mahomes and you know I think the big thing for Mahomes is that you know in the first half I think he was mostly comfortable able to make those quick passes able mostly he seemed in control but in the second half when they really had to scratch for every point you could see that Mahomes started to having had to put his li- you know his body on the line he was running out uh, you know he was going out to the left and that's when his limp started coming back his touchdown to MVS, he was basically getting hit by two guys and then obviously the hit at the end from Masai was him running and scrambling with a bum ankle so I think the big thing you saw in the second half is that Mahomes was mostly comfortable in the first half although I think they were a little bit you know they were being a little bit conservative relative for the Chiefs by just taking field goals and stuff like that but you know once the once the heat turned up in the second half and the Bengals were showing that they could adjust and they were going to make this a game Mahomes was having to do everything and putting his body on the line and the thing is like Mahomes is you know the greatest quarterback in the NFL he is you know know potentially the 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 best the only person in the league probably except for maybe Juro like burrows a fair bit behind who could challenge tom brady for the greatest of all times and this is the kind of game where you know that brilliance just shines through like you know to 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 be the defense which obviously has had his number so many times which was adjusting and changing all the time and to put his body on the line but obviously he was hobbled and hurt and you know certain aspects of his game was taken away and then to just do that that's the kind of reason why he's Gone to so many AFC championships. That's why he is already a Super Bowl winner. That's why he's probably going to get a second MVP. It's the kind of reason that he's undefeatable, and the fact he's doing it with MVS, who just had one of those weird MVS games where suddenly he turns into the best receiver in the league rather than dropping twenty balls. Yeah, you know, that that's fair. That that you, know, that you know that probably helps, of course. Um, so I think you know for both teams, I don't I don't think either team will go away like on pride in themselves. I think you know the Chiefs, you know the early fast start. You know, just making the correct, just amount of adjustments at the end. And Mahomes really just putting everything on the line was just enough to get it done here. But this is like, you know, every even despite the fact the Bengals are like, what, 3-0 against the Chiefs the last three games. You know, they've all been close. They've all been 50-50 games. And this time, you know, the coin flip managed to finally go the Chiefs' way. Maybe that little bit of extra motivation from all the bullshit talk from the mayor and the other players and all that kind of stuff. Maybe gave them just a little bit edge that they needed to get this done. But tough sledding. This is a great rivalry that I, I'm looking forward to seeing for many years to come.
0: Yeah, poor Mike Hilton, the Bengals player who came up with the term Burrowhead, was the lowest graded defender uh, on all of the conference championship weekend. So it didn't really. Yeah, don't don't give away free bulletin board material. Uh, Sean, what did you make of this one?
1: (laughs) That's the real takeaway. Yeah, don't antagonize the other team. Um, I thought of, I mean I really enjoyed it as a game because I think you know these are two obviously quite well matched teams and the the rivalry appears to be building between them. I mean it's 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 kind of I imagine it's a weird feeling for a Buffalo Bills fan to realize that this might actually be what the the kind of the Peyton versus Brady uh, rivalry of the modern era is going to be, Burrow versus Mahomes, and and possibly Buffalo will never get a look in because it does kind of feel like these two teams are going to be. the the teams to beat for a very long time, and I do expect it will go back and forth with KC winning some and Cincinnati winning others. What was really interesting for me in this game was how much it was a game of defenses and coaching that, you know, for all the you know, the hype about the, the offenses and the quarterbacks, this was a game about which defence performed better and which coaches made the best adjustments. And particularly for the Cincinnati coaching teams, I know you know, we've we've slowly been grudgingly giving, you know, credit to, to Zach Taylor for, you know, actually being quite a decent coach. But also I think you need to credit to Lou Anarumo, the dc for his adjustments in the second half to 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 allow them the the cincinnati defense to exploit the fact that casey's you know passing options were were, were, were falling away one by one but ultimately i mean if i if i'm a, a bengal uh, you know player coach or fan or whatever i'm going to feel this game was a little bit of the one that got away because you have to think about the situation they got the when they had the ball they got the ball back The game tied, 2.30, left in the fourth quarter. they have one of the best fourth quarter quarterbacks out there. The other team appears to be disintegrating on both sides of the ball. They don't have any receivers anymore. Their quarterbacks' mobility issues are starting to become obvious. The the Casey's secondary is a bunch of rookies, and you've got Joe Burrow with the ball with two and a half minutes left to to get a score. And, you know in all the, the narrative suggested that this was going to be another one, those Burrow moments that we talk about him being, you know, the Joe Montana of the modern era where he gets the, quote, Court, fourth quarter drive and sends them to a second consecutive Super Bowl and everyone's talking about how amazing the Bengals are as a team and yet they just didn't do anything they couldn't get the ball going uh, down the field you know the, the two big interceptions that, that the fizzle has talked about um kind of hurt them and then it was just a matter of, of Mahomes being the guy who managed to do just enough that one big play that was just enough to get them in position and obviously that the refs you know uh, there, there were things going on in, in various ways. To ha- Although, to be fair, that fifteen-yard penalty was legit. You shouldn't be tackling a quarterback when he's out of bounds. Um, but you know, ultimately, it was Mahomes and KC who stepped up and got the got the drive and got the play and got the the points to win it. So for the Bengals, this is gonna hurt an awful lot because. They really looked they, they looked like a team that deserves to be at the top end of the AFC and this entire season for them I think has been the slow realisation that last year wasn't a flash in a pan. These guys are for real. They deserve to be an AFC Championship game and they deserve to go there. And ultimately for me I think they maybe lost this game. The, the biggest reason why they lost this game is because in the second half they got into the red zone against the Chiefs and the Chiefs defence are terrible in the red zone. And twice, instead of getting touchdowns, they ended up kicking short field goals. And if either one of those field goals ended up being touchdowns, the Bengals win this game. So for me, it's 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 that kind of narrow edges missed, narrow opportunities missed, and and for the Bengals, kind of the one that got away. For the for the for the Chiefs, I mean, really, you know. Good credit to the defensive pressure early. They didn't allow the Bengals to get that early momentum. The Bengals are kind of a, a real team that they like to lead they like to lead from ahead as it were. They like to get a score early and then and then kind of control the game from there. They didn't allow them to do that. They disrupted them. Offensively, I think it's it's really impressive to to note what the KC offense have done this season, to have to rebuild entirely after Tyreek Hill let and somehow maintain the same standard They now have more receivers who can be relied upon. There's a little bit more running. Kelty's being used in multiple roles here. Mahomes, obviously, his game was significantly reduced um, because of mobility issues, but they they adjusted. And even as the receivers start to fall out one by one by one, you still kind of felt that there was enough in the tank there for them to, to pull it out. And, you know, maybe we didn't see come at the hour, come at the MBS, but, I mean, it's nicely finally turned up because I've been wondering all season what, what the point of him um, was. But, um, so the offense, be, despite all that happens, still manages to score enough points and the defense despite being maybe the forgotten half of this team I think really showed up when it was necessary both in terms of stifling the Bengals in the first half and then getting those kind of those big stops uh, in the fourth quarter Um, so yeah credit to KC I don't buy that the refs I mean if I'm being serious I don't buy the refs actually made any impact in this game whatsoever there were a couple of mistakes um, but ultimately I don't think it changed the game in the way the online discourse is going I think ultimately Kansas City just proved that they are marginally, ever so marginally, the better team at the moment. And the Bengals will go away thinking about what could have been had they just been, had they just had that spark of magic that they managed to have in last year's Conference Championship game I think was just missing for them this time around.
0: And on that lovely note, we're going to turn to the big, important game that's upcoming, AFC versus NFC in the Pro Bowl. So, AFC versus NFC Pro Bowl games. Uh, We've gone for AFC across the board in this one. Um, I'll just give you a quick rundown of the game. So, we're going to have epic Pro Bowl dodgeball, which is an in-conference offensive versus defensive game. Uh, Lightning round, which is three rounds of elimination of a couple of different things. So, catching water balloons, catching jugs machine punts, and um, a couple of different pieces like that. Longest drive... Uh, I think that's golfing, precision passing, best catch, a uh, gauntlet, which we'll have seen in previous years, kicking tic-tac-toe, which is the best of all of the games that are there, move the chains, and then it is a three flag football games with a couple of skill challenges launched in. So that's right, they've gone and done it, those lib bastards have taken away <laughs>
2: <laughs> the woke virus, the woke,
0: woke final conspiracy. victim. The woke conspiracy has taken away the greatest football game of the year and replaced it with flag football. Um, yeah,
2: talk about putting up the white flag. Am I right? Oh, that's real. What about the real flag, the American flag? Put that up there.
0: I say we. I, I say we hold our own Pro Bowl on January sixth.
2: Well, we, uh, we did. We did. We did have our own. Uh, we did have a, a, some some Pro Bowl hype games. Let's say at the weekend there, but uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um In these I
2: totally not rigged games. That Sean to, would
1: definitely could have lost.
0: Yeah, yeah, he definitely didn't lose them when I just gave him to the side anyway. Um, yeah. Hey, oh,
1: the, you are as impartial as NFL reps are.
0: I know, I know. Well, no, cuz I picked against my own interests. I was on the other team. Um okay, let's have a look at the rosters. Um we just kind of I think what we'll mostly do is look at these rosters, see if they've made the correct choice, or if there's alternatives that we think should have been put on here that weren't talked about. Uh, we'll start with the AFC. AFC quarterback, Pat Mahomes. I think we're all fine with that. Yep. Uh, Patrick yeah, Incard is fullback. in the league. Yeah. yeah he he uh, was the best
2: by uh, PFF, and he also plays defensive line in the past, so I always like two-way players.
0: Uh, uh, running back, Nick Chubb.
2: Yeah, like Nick Chubb had a good year, but I think Josh Jacobs had an exceptional year and obviously in a tougher situation. So um, mm. we give it to Josh Jacobs, me and Sean. I think you've stuck yeah, with Nick Chubb. I'll, yeah, I, I
1: think he, especially at the back end of the season, Jacobs was much better. Chubb was, he was fine, but Jacobs yeah. was more explosive when it mattered. Yeah.
0: Okay, Tyreek Hill is your wide receiver one, and yeah. Stefan Diggs is your wide receiver two.
1: But I mean, what did Diggs do this season? I mean, I okay, he... He, <laughs> he bitched I mean, a lot every,
0: after losing that playoff game. Every
1: big he... game, every <laughs> big... Every big game that I watched digs in this season, he underperformed. He had one big catch in one big game. I can't even remember what game it was. Um, but other than that, he was always underperforming in the big games, the games when the Bills really needed him. So I just, I can't imagine. I just can't understand it. I gone for Jamar Chase because you know he was the the best wide receiver on, on one of the best offenses in the league and always explosive and always exciting. Uh, so I gave him the nod.
0: Yeah, yeah. I went that.
2: for high variance Devontae Adams because there was like some games where he was the best player in the world and there were other games where he disappeared but you know given he was on the you know dumb dumb uh, Raiders and he had to play with Derek Carr, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and let him in he had uh, the third most yards in the league as well so that's
0: perfect yeah. uh, Travis Kelsey at tight end makes sense to me <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> okay the line is going to be Laramie Tunsil Quentin Nelson Joe Batonio Creed Humphreys and Teron Armstead uh, I think we have I think we've only really got one disagreement. I think myself and you, Ronan, put Joe Thune in a guard.
2: Yeah, like, uh, Quentin Nelson didn't have a bad season, but he started the year pretty poor. That offensive line overall for Indy was pretty poor, like, and he didn't really stand out that much, mm. whereas Joe Tooney was a very good contributor on that uh, Chiefs offensive line alongside Humphrey, so, yeah. yeah, like, it's not a position, obviously, where, where we can add that much analysis, uh, but, uh, Tooney, shout out for Nelson. Like, Nelson will have so many of these going forward, you know, give him, give him a year off, for God's
0: sake. <laughs> okay, let's go. Defensive line, we've got two ends and two tackles. Our ends are Garrett. And Crosby. Our tackles are Jones and Williams. So that's Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, Chris Jones and Quentin Williams. Uh, I think the only one that we've got any question on here is Garrett. He did somewhat underperform this year versus expectations. That whole defense for the Browns underperformed versus expectations. You're putting in Trey Hendrickson instead, Sean.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is mostly that I don't think the Browns should be rewarded in any way, shape or fashion, whereas the (laughs) Bengals defense was a lot better, has increasingly got a lot better than people thought it would be. It used to be considered the weakness and now it's considered one of the strengths and Hendrickson is a big part of that. Um, I mean, the numbers maybe suggest Garrett, but I think the vibes tell us that Hendrickson is, is the better guy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Look, 16 sacks in a down year is a pretty good down year, I'll be honest. So it's and, a uh, pretty good down year,
0: but yeah. yeah still, and, it's not Jones,
2: quite... and Jones and Williams are similar yeah. to Kelsey. It's kind of hard to see anyone else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, let's go linebackers. Maybe Cam
2: Hayward for those 3-4 DN truters out there.
0: Mm. Sure, sure. Uh, (laughs) They're not even allowed to fucking tackle. This is is flag football. It's irrelevant. (laughs) Why did they take it from us? This used to be the best weekend of the year. Um, Linebackers, two outside linebackers, one middle linebacker. We have outside linebackers, Matthew Judon, Khalil Mack, and middle linebacker Roquan Smith. Um... We are all happy with Matthew Judon. We're all swapping out Khalil Mack. Um, I think me and Sean went TJ Watt and Ronan went Alex Highsmith. Um, I I I think even with the injury and missing time, TJ Watt was the best defensive player on his team and probably the best defensive player at this position.
2: Yeah, like look, TJ Watt is a better player than Alex Highsmith. they're just for context, they're both offensive linebackers for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, but. Alex Smith was healthy for the entire year, so he racked up a bit more in terms of... Uh, the best uh, ability
0: is availability, right? Well,
2: that's <laughs> it, like, so... But, like, TJ Watt, like, you know, if you were talking about the best player to put on your team, yes, TJ Watt, but, you know, it, it's a, it's also a recognition of who did best in 2022 award as well. Hmm. That's Matt enough. Milano for middle linebacker seems like a solid pick he's been great for Buffalo for many years yeah. and had again year. it's
1: the eye test every time I watch the Bills Milano was the guy making plays so I think he deserves recognition mm. for that. And I, like, I like
0: Rogan Smith though
2: <laughs> yeah he, he was great when traded to to baltimore but you know and he was good with chicago but it's like i don't know like it's a little bit like uh, yeah stick one team for a year and we'll, we'll give you it next
0: year pretty much everyone from this point onwards is locked in for us this is a very very good backfield in somewhere to have so sauce gardner and patrick sertain the second at cornerback free safety Mika fitzpatrick strong safety derwin james that's pretty much just a locked in top end top end like defensive backfield
2: yeah like i like... At safety, maybe there's an argument for Justin Simmons who had a good year, but unfortunately he played in Denver, so no one cares. Certain just the managers get into the cornerback Sauce Gardner, obviously a stud this year, and obviously so much even room to grow from going forward. Mika Fitzpatrick just makes big plays; that's what he does every year. And Derwin James, yeah, like you know, like I think that the strong safety options uh, aren't great, but uh, he was solid overall
0: okay let's get on to uh kickers they've gone with justin tucker because everyone always goes for justin tucker i'm gonna suggest carlson just because i think he had a very good year but like i get tucker he's good the tucker he wasn't hates,
1: connor the tucker hate you gotta give it up man
0: he's no he wasn't as good this year he missed he missed game winning kicks this year just he's, yeah. he's what yeah this this year he's actually here because of hype rather than performance every other year he has been very good i just did, I just thought he was a knob, but I respected his <laughs> talent. But he's not actually the best kicker this year, I don't think.
1: Eh, I'll I have to, to do a deep dive in the down. stats and let you know. But, no. uh,
0: yeah. uh, Punter Tommy Townsend, special team Justin Hardy, and returner Devin Duvernay.
1: Yeah, they were all uh, roughly
2: about what they were, but there was no one who really stood out in the return game this year. and uh, Hardy was... Uh, it's good. Like I think... Uh, the New England guy might be retiring this year, so it's a bit tough on him. But uh, you know, uh, Matthew Slater, uh, you know, hmm. you can give him one last, one last special teamer, uh, <laughs> Pro Bowl.
0: Okay, so that's our AFC side. Let's go to the NFC. Quarterback Jalen Hurts, fullback Kyle Juszczyk.
1: Yes, like. Yes, the NFC had no quarterbacks, so
2: yeah. Tempted slightly to give Geno Smith, but yeah, Jalen Hurts was better.
0: <laughs> no, not not Brock Purdy. He definitely would have won that game, from what I hear. Yeah, he only played
2: five <laughs> games. Whatever. So.
1: I I was tempted to put in Kirk Cousins, but even that, the humor, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I couldn't make myself.
0: Is there any... Who was second in voting for the NFC? I think it was
1: Gino. Gino Smith was second. Oh, my God. And Kirk Cousins was... Like, the NFC... Quality of NFC quarterbacks versus AFCs. There are, like, seven quarterbacks in the AFC who are better than the NFC quarterbacks. Except maybe Hurts.
0: Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Fullback, use check. Yeah, it's a pretty solid option. Running back. They went Saquon Barkley. We all universally went Christian McCaffrey. Um, Although, is this just, like... Performance at the back end of the season versus Saquon skewed more early in the season and then kind of had a bit of a I I mean shit I think the CMC
1: bed. had a huge impact on the Niners. Like they won twelve straight when he came into that team. I mean he completely he turned a team that was treading water into one of the best teams in the AFC just by his contribution alone. i mean, Barkley had a great comeback season, et cetera, et cetera. But I think for impact on your team, CMC. Completely changed the Niners' season, but by turning up there.
0: Yeah, uh, wide receiver, just Jefferson. We're happy with that one across the board, and AJ Brown. I think there's uh, one call for Amon-Ra in here.
1: I just—he's just more exciting. You know, he—he he did. I mean, I love the Lions, firstly, so you need to give that acknowledgement. But also, he Amon-Ra—he didn't play every game, so maybe you can make that kind of argument. But he was just really exciting player to watch. Whereas AJ Brown's a bit, yeah, he's good, but whatever. Whereas Amon-Ra <laughs> excites me in a way that AJ Brown doesn't. Yeah, and like there's
2: other like C.D. Lamb had a good season as well, uh, but uh, yeah, I think, I, I think objectively, J.J. Brown, based on the stats and what he did, probably gets over Moran. But I, I will always praise the sun god, so I certainly can't disagree with Sean too strongly.
0: Uh, Tight end is George Kittle. Uh, slow start, obviously coming off the injury, but did kind of round into form. And I think that, that's that's the thing as well. The CMC coming in was also Kittle back off the injury as well. Uh, which is kind of making up for the fact that Devo had been helping them tread water up to that point as well. Um, yeah, but yeah. Like, there might be an
2: argument for TJ Hawkinson, who obviously. That uh, was the only uh, name that
0: was coming to, to to my mind, yeah.
2: Yeah, he was solid after he got traded to the, the Vikings in particular, but I think Kittle was good beforehand as well,
0: yeah. Um, the strong
2: end just kind of showed the difference in dynamicism. Like, Hawkinson's going to be, he's a kind of pro bowl at best tight end, whereas Kittle has that all-pro mm-hmm. talent uh, in him. as well.
0: Okay, our line for the NFC: Trent Williams, Zach Martin, Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, Lane Johnson. Overall, a pretty decent line. Uh, I like the center, yeah. I like the left tackle. I like the left guard. Like, yeah, I, I overall, I quite like this line.
1: Yeah, I I've, think... uh, I've, I've gone for Sewell at tackle because again, I love the Lions and he was a big part of that O-line's improvement as the season went on. Um, so I just wanted. Wonder given an acknowledgement, and he is like a second year or something, so he's he's like yeah, he's, yeah becoming a big part of what yeah. makes the lines tick. Yeah, Excellent. I wouldn't have an objection to
2: it, but Johnson's probably like I think would you have Trent Williams as your left tackle, and it's like well we'll get the best right tackle, and that's probably Lane Johnson. But Sewell's probably you know obviously in future years almost certainly gonna be going to Pro Bowls. I'd say.
0: Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have our defensive line: two defensive ends in Nick Bosa and Brian Burns, uh, and then we have our two tackles of Aaron Donald and Jonathan Allen. Um, okay, Bosa, I get Burns. Yeah, That one's easy. <laughs> Burns, I think I'm siding with you on Parsons here.
2: Yeah, like well like look like like Like. I like here here I am it's another year, it's here me calling for Yeah three
0: uh, four instead of a four <laughs> three, yeah.
2: Well, it's four three in terms of line, lineback- but you know yeah. off ball linebackers are people too, and yet they only ever get one position MLD for them. So what I've done is basically completely rejig things. So Micah Parsons was named as an offense, uh, you know, outside linebacker. Um, for the Pro Bowl, that's where I seem that the the people put him. Uh, but what I've done is cheated by basically moving him to defensive end because I think Brian Burns, he's a good player. Like he had over 10 sacks, but he's a. I still think he's a bit too much of a situational pass rusher. He's not like a guy who dominates every down. And then uh, I've put Dre Greenlaw, who alongside Fred Warner has been, you know, the bedrock. I think of that uh, San Francisco defense alongside Nick Bosa and kind of making them the best defense in the league. Um, and then the rest of them I've also uh, moved around. So Yeah, you've Parsons... done quite a lot of
0: movement on yeah. the defence here.
2: and basically Parsons' previous position I've also given to uh, Hassan Reddick, so for me, Nick Bosa stays uh, outside, and Fred Warner stays a bit mid- like middle linebacker, but be part of the defensive end because he's a cheat code and you can put him anywhere. Javon Hargave and J.J. Watt a defensive tackle, albeit, you know, you could argue. I think Dexter Lawrence maybe. Look, I'm going to give J.J. Watt some credit because he's retiring. Uh, go Now he's gone, Like I don't have to get annoyed with him. And Hassan Reddick uh, alongside Dr. lot an outside linebacker. So I think it's a more balanced, realistic uh, defense that you could put together for the Pro Bowl if it was happening in real
1: life. I, I real life. mean, I could see that the Aaron Donald thing and certainly, I mean, it's just this kind of... No, Donald. From, Donald was injured most of the year. He didn't play that Yeah, much, he, but, he probably know. isn't in there, but I can't really think of anyone better than him. Um, but I have put Hassan Reddick in in outside linebacker, but I'm keeping Parsons there because I don't believe in screwing with what NFL coaches believe the system is. Um, Dexter Lawrence, JJ
2: Watt, <laughs> Javon Hargrave, these are all guys who deserve a Pro Bowl not over Aaron Donald. Like Aaron Donald has all the Pro Bowls and all pros in the world. He doesn't need any more. He, he'll be alright, I think.
0: Uh, okay, so our linebackers then are Mike Parsons, Darius said Fred Warner. Uh, like we said, there's some movement there with a San Redick, Trey Greenlaw kind of coming in at different spots, depending on what configuration the boys are going for. But we're all in agreement that Fred Warner is your middle boy there. Uh, he was very, very good, particularly in the playoffs. I remember a couple of major plays that he felt like he was the only guy who'd make it. And- on- and and
2: Reddick was a great pickup for the Eagles. Obviously, picked up a free agency. We were wondering about his fit, and it seems like the Jonathan Gannon has done a great job of using, maximizing his skill. I think he's kind of like, like like no one is used too often in the in the Philly defensive line because they have so much rotation. But every time he's on the field, he's making big plays, and that was only and obviously he made the big plays in the game just gone last week. So that probably just uh, mm-hmm. puts uh, emphasizes the point.
0: So we're all in agreement then on our cornerback of Darius Slay. Uh, second cornerback is a bit more contentious. So. it's Trayvon Diggs was selected we got James Bradbury and Tariq Woolen into the mix here as well yeah but I mean like to...
1: Trayvon Diggs obviously is, is more explosive although he's probably had a quieter year this year but I just want, I wanted to give some acknowledgement to the the Eagles um, and Bradbury was you know one of the stars of that, that Eagles uh, secondary so I just wanted to give him the nod there
2: but Darius Slay also plays for the Eagles. Like, how much credit do yeah. they need? They're really good. <laughs> they are quite good. Uh, and look, Tariq Woolen, he's obviously a rookie. He, he he was joint top in terms of interceptions, which is a great achievement for a rookie. And like, look, I think that some of his flaws were certainly shown up towards the back end of the season. But, you know, given where he came from as like a fifth-round rookie and just kind of did that stuff, I, I, and as a Seahawks homer, I said I'd, I'd give him some love.
0: Uh, at our safety positions, free safety, uh, it's Quandre Diggs and Buddha Baker but we decided CJ Gardner-Johnson for free safety and uh, you have uh, Tolonga Hufanga for your strong safety there Fitz
2: Yeah like Buda Baker's a great player and he had another solid season although he he finished up uh, injured uh, but Hufanga seems to have just really come out of nowhere to be one of the stars of that San Francisco defence and I don't think you, can, you really can't have too many San Francisco defenders probably in, in, in the there and CJ Gardner-Johnson obviously got traded in the middle of year from uh, New Orleans to the to the Eagles didn't miss a beat and was a great player. And like I love Quandre Diggs, he had a number of interceptions this year, including a key one towards the end of the year. But uh, overall, the the insiders and the Seahawks uh, fan base kind of think he might have had a little bit of down year. He had he was coming off an injury, so Gardner Johnson gets the the thing here. And really, like in this case, we're really treating free safety more as like a generic DB safety, you know,
0: dime backer type of thing. To be honest. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough. Uh then on to our kind of special teams. Kicker, Jason Myers, Punter, Tressway, Special Teamers, Jeremy Reeves and Returner, Cavante Turpin.
2: Well, I just want to give the floor to you, Connor, to to to, to bask in, in your call of the best non John Tucker special teamer uh, prediction at the
0: beginning of the year. Yeah, which is very clearly uh Daniel Carlson. Uh but <laughs> no it's a uh, Turpin, yes, he was my was my special team pick on the basis of two plays that I quite like the look of in preseason but uh yeah i don't think i have the strength of my convictions i don't think i actually had him at the halfway point of still being there ah uh, yeah but sure look he is what is. uh myers <laughs> got to had ma- a good got to maximize year the amount of options you can claim that were definitely you that saw them happening
2: like myers had a big up year so fair play to him Dressway has been a great punter for multiple years at this point and uh jeremy reeves is a great uh, contributor for his team so yeah can't complain about these too
0: much yeah so overall uh decent enough teams couple of changes we'd make uh fucking horrendous spots the amount of people not turning up we've now got uh sean talked about how there was like seven or eight afc quarterbacks that are better at the, the i current... I believe the actual three quarterbacks the afc is sending yeah. to the pro bowl
1: are tyler huntley Derek carr and trevor lawrence yeah and lawrence is fine good season the other two are literally no one else wanted to go i mean Tyler Huntley, come on.
0: Tyler Huntley, what, am I right in saying he threw two touchdown passes this year or something? Some, like that? I think
1: it is. I think it's actually exactly two touchdown yeah. passes. So, uh, so the
0: weird, the weird and, thing and, about and, and a guy who got benched for <laughs> the last three yeah. or four weeks because he's shy, like. So, so
2: not to get too inside baseball, but I believe the first three are based on the public vote mostly. I think the players have a bit of an input, uh, but after that point, it's just player vote. So it often comes down to players that people like, like they'll vote for their teammates, and so you might notice that someone who you know, he had a terrible year, but might stick in, like, you know, Russell Wilson isn't there. So, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, I think it, it's a not, bit of a joke. Not and beloved, it. yes. <laughs> yes, not beloved. Uh, it would, would be the best way to putting it. Um, so, yeah, look, it is what it is like. But, uh, yeah, once you're getting down to, like, the 7th, 8th, ninth quarterbacks in your list, you're you're going to get some pretty
0: bad guys. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's not great. Give us give us real Pro Bowl or give us death. This is, uh, this is not how it's meant to be. But, hey, look, I suppose... Open Minds, every day is Christmas Eve. It could be great. We will watch it. And Connor, Maybe. I know
2: I know, I know, it's
0: a, it's an audio
2: format, but do you want to do a little salute for the Pro Bowl, the real Pro Bowl? I'm saluting right now. I've got my
0: hand, hand, hand to the head. This is now the minute <inaudible> silence on the podcast. <inaudible> <inaudible> no, Fitz, minute silence. <laughs> Okay, just put it in and post. It could be ours. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, no. Um, that'll loop for the Pro Bowl bits. So obviously, look, we'll be coming back with uh, our Super Bowl preview. We might actually see if we add a guest or two in as well, because we've got a couple of mates who are fans of some of these teams and so on. But uh, we'll see, we'll see what's viable uh, this side of it. But um, yeah, excited. Are we excited for the uh, for the? For the super bowl do we think it's uh gonna be a fun matchup
1: the super bowl yeah definitely two really good teams mm. um uh, and certainly it's i mean ultimately i mean as much as i would have loved san francisco to be there from the nfc side i mean the eagles uh, it is i do kind of want to see if, if they're actually capable of going of taking the big one you know that they they kind of a little bit i mean it's it's the this the semi experience of the of the of the chiefs having been there multiple times and i mean really they looked at times like the, the, the certainly the best offensive side in the league but the eagles have had a really good season so it's 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 a just reward definitely for the for the two teams yeah. i mean two number 1 seeds which you don't see very often as well
2: and, and there's so many interesting, you know, matchups that we'll, we'll be talking about next week. And obviously, so there's a lot of interesting stories to go in terms of, like the Chiefs, particularly in injuries and, uh, you know, the Eagles in terms of the, a bit of a paper tiger who's got an easy ride. And obviously, you know, like, you know, it's been mentioned already in the media and stuff like that, will be the first quarterback ever between two black quarterbacks. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be it'll be a great game. Um, I just think like, there's a slight chance uh, spoiler alert. Like, I'm a little bit afraid the Eagles, like, just because there's so much more. Thorough in terms of their team building could do a i don't well, not a full like uh peyton manning broncos on it but you know similar to what happened in chiefs against the, the bucks kind of situation but uh, i'm hoping no no one's hoping for that so let's hope we get mm. a really good game but we'll that's, see, that's a we'll story see. for a different time
0: it is it's for next week and you're not know gonna say <laughs> you're gonna be wrong but hey uh of the couple of eagles fans we know a couple of them have said doesn't matter who wins the later game we'll smash either one of them uh, yeah, fly eagles. When fly. will you
2: people learn? There's a preview of Connor's uh, Connor's uh, speech slash analysis.
0: Yeah, yeah, go climb your greasy pole. <laughs> right, uh, that'll wrap us up for this one. As always, if you want to drop us questions or anything for the Super Bowl preview, give us a shout. But uh, for now, it'll be bye for myself, bye from Ronan, bye, bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week.